Welcome to the Cannabis Equipment News Podcast. Hi, I'm David Manti, and welcome to a new episode of the Cannabis Equipment News Podcast. With me this week is Brian Fitzpatrick, CEO of Credible. Thank you very much for joining me today, Brian. It's my pleasure. Great to be here. Before we get started, please make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. You can also help us out a lot by leaving the podcast a positive review on whatever platform you use. If you want to email the podcast, you can reach me at david at cannabisequipmentnews.com with email the podcast in the subject line. You can also subscribe to our daily newsletter. Make sure you get it delivered to your inbox first. Brian, I always like to kick it off by learning a little bit about each individual's personal journey to cannabis. So what was it that brought you to the industry? What's interesting is I've spent my entire career on the financial services side in regulatory technology, taming the wild west of the mortgage industry and uh, building out automated uh, technology that made the mortgage industry safer. And uh, after selling my last company, uh, quite frankly, I was looking for a similar opportunity in another wild west industry and uh, none stood out greater than the cannabis, CBD and hemp space. So are you here to tame the wild west of the CBD, cannabis, and hemp space? Our vision and mission is to make commerce in this industry safer. That's our entire vision and mission. And how do you plan about, go, uh, plan about doing that? Well, there's a lot of members of the uh, supply chain in the cannabis, hemp, and CBD space. Uh, and it involves banks, insurance companies, all sorts of trading partners, the actual dispensaries, the brands themselves, the manufacturers the distributors, and let's not forget the most important part, the consumers. Without the consumers, there is no business. So uh, we plan on doing that by essentially bringing trust and transparency through our platform uh, in providing all the regulatory uh, tools and connections and uh, basically advancing trust and transparency uh, through technology. What are some of those tech tools that Credible offers that can help cannabis operators build trust. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that we've done is we've created a blockchain uh, technology that labs connect directly to. Uh, Many people don't realize this, but there's a lot of fraud in the lab reports that are being delivered. So by connecting the labs directly to our blockchain repository and creating smart contract IDs, those lab reports become immutable and therefore can be trusted by the people who are looking at those lab reports, including consumers. Another thing we've done is we've created using artificial intelligence and machine learning is we've created smart bots that actually comb the websites of brands and it makes sure that they're not making egregious claims, claims that they should not be making uh, based on the guidance of state law and also guidance of the uh, FDA is in the case of uh, primarily the CBD and hemp uh, side of the business. I think lab fraud Almost every day, there is a little bit more that comes out about um, maybe the gray area that some labs operate in. What kind of harmful effect does that have on the industry when you can't trust a lab? Well, you know, and sometimes it's really not the lab that's creating the issue. But let's take, for example, in the case of uh, marijuana, there's lab shopping that goes on. So we send the sample around to multiple labs and wait to get the answer we want, right? Uh, That's that's one thing that's egregious uh, in the industry. So it's not just necessarily the lab that may be, it may not be the lab that's doing anything fraudulent. It may be happening at the actual brand. 
It may be that we're just using the system, we're juggling the system to get the answers we want, because no two labs are alike, number one. Number two, uh, you know, and that's, that's you know, even in the same state where the lab testing requirements might be the same, the, the synchronization um, and the accuracy of the instruments being used might not be up to par. A lot of this has to do with preventing potential product recalls. A few that uh, have been mentioned, uh, microbial contamination that we saw in Massachusetts, um, the incredible pesticide story, the DDE coming out of Washington state. You know, that's uh, a sister of DDT, which was banned back in the 70s. How does Credible hope to help operators so they don't run into these types of problems that are triggering these product recalls? Well, uh, first of all, I mean, Credible uh, is working on uh, putting together uh, this connection to the labs. But I, I have to be honest with some of these problems aren't going to be solved until these uh, until the federal government really gets involved and creates standards uh, across the country. That's really the biggest issue. I and mean, we can imply we can bring technology. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, if we're not testing the right things, it doesn't matter whether the lab report's fraudulent or not, because if we're not testing the right things and looking for the right things, then we're not creating uh, the type of environment, uh, quite frankly, that is required uh, to create safety for consumers. There's such a disparity out there in lab testing by state. And that's, you know, we got to get to the root of the issue. So what we're doing is we're creating sort of the uh, the technology that 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 overlays that compliance. We've got all the rules built into our systems. And we've also have the ability once the lab report is done to really lock it down. But there's a bigger underlying issue here. And that is, are they testing for the right microbials? Are they testing for the right things in the product uh, to begin with? Talking about your technology. How is it that blockchain technology solutions are going to be able to keep cannabis consumers safe? Well, first of all, it's going to be able to keep cannabis consumers safe for a, a number of reasons. Uh, let's take New York, for example. There's New York City. There's 1,500 illegal dispensaries operating in New York City right now. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of consumers have no idea. I mean, they th think that cannabis has been legal on recreational basis for years because of 1,500 smoke shops and illegal dispensaries going on. So the first thing we do is Credible's platform actually validates and verifying the, the actual license of the uh, dispensary. And then we utilize blockchain to give it a smart contract ID and we display that on our site. So the first thing with the Credible seal that a consumer will be able to see is that this is a properly licensed dispensary from the state of New York, okay? That's, I'm just using New York as an example. Yeah. So that's one area. The second area is a lot of these growers and brands, whether it's CBD, hemp, or marijuana, you know, they talk about eGMP certification or ISO certifications. They talk about all these good housekeeping seals. And guess what? Not everybody's actually doing that. So mm -hmm. we validate and verify that certification. And then we utilize blockchain to, lo to lock down the certificate. So oh, now ahead. immutable. So blockchain makes these things immutable. They can't be monkeyed with. They can't be messed with. They cannot be modified. And we talked about the lab reports. You know, lab reports are delivered in a PDF format. 
you know, you and I can use an Adobe program, take a PDF format and change the whole lab report and make it read whatever we want it to. With mm-hmm. blockchain, you can't do that. It's immutable. Blockchain is fairly new in every industry. It's really new in cannabis. Can you give us sort of the 10,000 foot view just for all of our cannabis operators out in the industry that might be unfamiliar with it beyond it being a buzzword? Sure. So um, I, I think one of the things when we talk about blockchain, uh, there's really there's a consumer uh, payment type version, which people hear about with, um, you know, with Bitcoin. And that's called Ethereum, which is most commonly used. That's the standard. But in the B2B managed um, sort of network of, of blockchain, where it, instead of it being this big, giant, uh, open public ledger, it's a private managed ledger which is what we use. And that's uh, was a technology created by IBM, um, which is a hyperfabric ledger, which is uh, is the version we use. So essentially what you're doing is you're taking pieces and parts of a document or a piece of data and you're breaking it all up and writing several hashes of that information across uh, multiple you know sort of repositories. You're writing you're writing these things in, um, across uh, all of these different sources versus in a database. In a database, you have all that data in one spot. It's all sitting in that database. So if you hack the database, you're into the data. You have full access to all of the information versus you know that being hashed up and, and broken up. That's a very simple version of it. I like to, uh, anybody, any of your listeners ever heard of, watched Willy Wonka and they had the kid that, you know, made himself into a million different pieces on the television and transform over the air. Think of that, you know, think of all that data being in all those different little pieces that are going across the uh, airwaves and being stored. So in order to hack uh, a blockchain like that, you got to basically hack all those little pieces and all those little parts and and reassemble uh, it together. So uh, that that's sort of a, a non-technical <laughs> Willy yeah. Wonka definition, if you. So yeah, so blockchain is pixelated Mikey TV. Yeah, that's right, pixelated <laughs> Mikey TV. I love it. Yeah, that's right. So is consumer interest, and you know, to a point, dispensary operator interest in con- protecting themselves enough to push the blockchain agenda forward, or? Will it take uh, federal input to kind of push the agenda in order to make it sort of standard practice? Well, I, I think that um, you know, there's. I, I like to say that this is a this is an industry with bad apples. It's not an industry of bad apples, right? So I, I know personally a number of brands that really spend the right amount of money on testing and doing everything right and compliance and good manufacturing practices and good growing, good clean growing standards, you know, and then I'm aware of brands who, you know, they're, they're making things up as they go along, you know, they're not following the rules. So what I like to say here is what the blockchain and what Credibles technology and our digital registry enables is to be able to tell the difference between the two. Now, are people jumping up and down saying, hey, we we absolutely are going to put ourselves in here if they're one of those bad Apple brands? No, they're not. So what typically happens is what I saw in the mortgage industry. You know, in the mortgage industry, when we were talking about zero defects and making sure there was absolute data quality, 
before the loan got sold into the secondary market, you know, there was no big collapse of 2008. You know, before the big collapse of 2008, nobody was doing it. But after the collapse of 2008, the government got involved. The pendulum swung hard the other way and adult supervision was required. And then everybody started getting religion really, really fast because there was government fine fees and penalties. I mean, look what happened just last week. The uh, FTC put out uh, a shot across the bow of 700 companies mm. that were making you know, claims they shouldn't be or just warning them that they're on the edge, right? So mm. what we're starting to see right now is we're starting to see the government turning up the heat. And I'm telling you, in order for this to become federally legal, they're going to have to turn up the heat. You know, there has to be some good uh, quality standards. So, you know, we're providing um, a lot of opportunity for the good brands, the, the companies that want to stand behind their brand promises to sort of utilize our tools and technologies to make them safer, make them more transparent, make them actually better, uh, have better visibility and transparency to their customers. So it's their customers that can trust them at the end of the day. Do you foresee a similar collapse happening in cannabis that we saw in the mortgage industry? Yeah, I, I think that there's there's going to be events that are going to add up to um, to you know to one of these events, whether it's one big bang event like we so I mean, by the way, there was a lot of signs in the mortgage industry. There was a lot of things happening along the way, you know, when we started giving loans to people that don't have any income, you know, that should have been an indicator. But on this side, you know, what are we seeing? We're starting to see recalls of products. We're seeing the recall list go up. We're starting to see the the uh, the inaccuracies, the um, what I would call sort of the inconsistencies of of state standards and testing. You know, for um, example, if you look at what's going on in Canada, where you know Canada is um, uh, you know federally legal, they're testing ninety six different compounds. Right, that's forty more. Or thirty more than what California is doing, and probably fifty or sixty more than than some other states, right? So uh, we we're seeing that now, you know, people they're going to get sick. You know, things are going to happen. We're we're seeing more and more, for example, on the hemp side, where brands don't have any CBD in them at all, and people mm -hmm. are paying a hundred dollars for a bottle of carrier oil. You know, so there's there's safety hazards. There's uh, fraudulent uh, misrepresentations going on. We're seeing uh, class action lawsuits. They will continue. We're going to see fines, fees, and penalties from the FTC as a result of a lot of this activity. So I think what you're going to see is you're going to see a combination of the, of the consequences of lack of standard, of lack of quality that's going to create a problem. And all of a sudden, it's going to be more and more in the news, and then the government's going to have to step in. If New York adopts a blockchain strategy today, how long before those 1,500 illegal dispensaries are shut down and sort of the legal rec markets um, ship is righted? Well, let, let me give you an example of that. So in some cases, it's not just what bad thing is happening in New York. You could have a legal operator in New York, for example. So they're not even an illegal dispensary. But they're a legal operator in New York and they're doing naughty things in West Virginia, for example. Mm -hmm. You have a multi-state operator 
who is violating law in one state or and has issues in one state, but New York has no idea about it, mm -hmm. right? So you've got this lack of visibility. You can't, by the way, you that can't happen, for example, in the liquor industry, you know, um, because there's controls at a federal level and there's transparency and visibility. So, um, you know, how long, you know, can... First of all, I think consumers need to be educated that they need to be doing business with a legal dispensary. And um, Catherine Hochul, uh, the governor, you know, did put out sort of their own little um, QR code that goes on the window of the dispensaries, which says whether they're licensed or not. But that's just one aspect of transparency. Whether you're licensed or not is one aspect of transparency. So when you're looking at all these, let's take Washington State, for example, where they had this DDE issue, right? Um, you know, and 16 or 18 uh, operators were, you know, were essentially suspended from selling their, their product. What I want you to imagine is what bad thing is happening on the illegal side where there's no testing at all going on. Right. And you have right. consumers putting that into their bodies. So what we need to do is consumers just automatically think in this world of cannabis that if it's on the shelf in America, it's safe. Why? Because they're used to seeing that in the food industry. They're used to seeing that in produce, you know, but it's not the case here. So we have to be very, very careful in making sure that we're creating standards, you know, across the industry um, so that, uh, you know, the, the, the consumers are safe. And it's not just about the product. It's about validating and verifying these companies as well, that they're doing the correct things and they're properly licensed and certified. Do you see Credible as being like a bolt-on for something like metric or similar systems or more a standalone or even a competitor? Well, I, I don't see myself as a competitor of metric. Metric's doing the important work of track and trace of the actual product with the RFID tags and, uh, you know, a very good company and a very necessary company for tracking and tracing. That's not the level of track and trace that we do. So I'd say we are a bolt-on, you know, we are an addition. We're doing things that they're not doing, but we're also providing these, these tools uh, to be able to help these brands. So for example, when we help brands get control of their COAs and manage their COAs certificate of analysis, which is basically their lab reports. So when we help those brands get uh, control of those, um, What's interesting on the CBD and hemp side, you know who needs to know about those COAs? Mm -hmm. The merchant processors, the people who are processing the credit cards on the website. They have to make sure that these products are, that they're, these companies are offering the right products and they have lab reports with them. So first of all, it helps them keep their banking relationships. Secondly, you can look up on the, the web and say, how do I know a good CBD brand? It says, well, make sure they have a lab report. So a lot of these companies aren't putting their lab reports on their website. So we not only help them manage it, but we pr we provide the tool on the website to explain what a COA is, to actually allow the consumer to put their lot and batch number from the product in there and see the actual lab report, right? So it's not just about this oversight. It's about providing the tools that help the brands to present themselves in a trustable and transparent way and then manage the compliance. So before, for example, before a brand puts out a, a marketing piece or before they put something on their website, they can run it through our, our bots, our automated engines, and it will tell them 
It's like having an attorney in a box. It'll tell them what's violative about what they're about to say relative to the laws that are out there. So we're really more um, consider what we're doing as using technology to reduce the cost of compliance and increase the level of transparency. Okay. These lab bots and the AI that you're using, is it where they just basically submit their URL, they crawl the website and kind of ping any red flags? And do they then say how to remedy these suggested problems? Yeah. So, um, you know, one of the things I promised not to take all the business away from the attorney. So I had an attorney look at our technology and they said, well, that's what we do. And I said, listen, what we do is help them identify Right. And then we provide them the link to the guidance of what they should be doing. But they do need a lawyer. They do. They should have a good counsel, a compliance attorney on on staff or on retainer uh, to help them really, um, you know, uh, prevent those issues and what they should be saying. So we do provide some guidance there. We help find the issues before the accident happens. Right. The problem with compliance in most industry is is audit companies and compliance companies are very good to tell you what happened after the accident happened. What we're trying to do is to avoid the accident from happening in the first place. I've heard a lot of people uh, raise red flags about automating jobs away. You know, I still haven't heard people complain about automating them away from lawyers yet. (laughs) Well, you know what? Uh, It's funny. I lecture at a couple of universities uh, in New Jersey. And one of the things I talk about all the time is, is how automation and outsourcing is going to continue to grow you know, in a, in American business, it's going to continue to drive productivity. And I help these young people uh, understand why it's important that they add value in getting involved in IT projects and automation projects and those types of things. And this industry is no different. You know, if, if we're watching the cost of compliance rise and rise and rise and rise, now let's take a state of Washington, state of Washington, the taxes alone are like 45 to 50% you know, add the compliance cost to that, you know, no wonder why the illicit market is growing so rapidly because consumers can't afford legalized cannabis, mm-hmm. right? So what we we need technology to drive the cost down and reduce and eliminate the gaps of visibility and stop the accident from happening. So uh, technology is an absolutely critical factor in reducing the global bureaucracy and increasing the safety of every industry. When it comes to how tech savvy the cannabis industry is, how would you, de- how would you describe it? Well, the w- way I would describe it is I think it's, um, you know, it's a new industry. So, um, as we're just finding our way, I wouldn't say it's necessarily on the bleeding edge. Um, at this point in time, but I, and, and it's, and a lot of it has to do with the fact is we're still writing the rules. We're still defining the rules. So, um, I would say the, um, from a tech savviness perspective, I'd say it's evolving. Um, but when it comes to compliance, I would say that it has typically not been very advanced. Uh, and, 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 but this is what I do for a living. I mean, my whole background is taking complex compliance rules and audit processes and automating them for the distinct purpose that I talked about, lowering the cost of compliance and giving better visibility to the stakeholders. What is the two lab rule that you propose? The, um, that I propose? (laughs) 
Oh, sorry. Or the proposed two lab rule. And then uh, your thoughts on it. Well, the proposed, I think you're talking about the uh, Commonwealth of Pennsylvania that uh, that tried to actually impose a uh, two lab ro- rule after the fact, which mm-hmm. was not necessarily a, a good situation. I think what they're they're trying to do is at different points of the uh, process, right, uh, early on in cultivation and then in, in processing um, that you're you have a lab at, at uh, done at each step. You know, which you probably should do anyway. But, mm. uh, you know, to me, I think the most important things is th- that's really not going to fix much from my perspective. What is going to fix much is if we standardize, okay, the testing at a federal level. What many people don't realize is that this, this, this federalization issue has actually decreased the safety of this industry in many, many respects. And one of them is testing. So we have to, we don't have the benefit, by the way, that uh, like the tobacco industry has or the food industry has relative to uh, coming up with standards, with lab standards. I mean, the USDA and, um, you know, has, has a lot of different standards. You know, the Department of Agriculture, they have a lot of information about uh, you know uh, different uh, test results in different industries on things like pesticides, for example. Mm-hmm. Well, we can't apply that safety information about pesticides. In fact, if you buy a pesticide, it doesn't mention anything about cannabis because it's it's not approved for use because of this federal inconsistencies or the lack of federal regulation. So, you know, before we even talk about like the two lab rule and all this other stuff, we need to standardize lab testing across the states at a federal level. And that becomes um, an area. So we have the the problems in the industry are the types of what is being tested for. That's problem number one. We need to standardize that. Secondly, the frequency of testing. We do have to talk and have a dialogue about it and standardize that. So some states require that all cannabis products to be tested before they can be sold, while others require periodic testing or testing on request. And, you know, that's like it's all over the place. And then there's inconsistencies in the actual accreditation and the regulation of the testing labs themselves. So until we solve those inconsistencies, you can talk about two labs or all you want, but Let's say the state of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania wants to do that, but they're missing. They're only testing for 40 or 50 things when they should be testing for 70 or 80 things. So, Mm -hmm. you know, to me, it's like that's not the dialogue to have. The dialogue to have is we need to create federal um, standards on testing to drive safety. Do you try to be a part of that conversation and get involved on the regulatory side of things? We do. I mean, we try to get uh, as involved uh, as possible. I mean, as you know, there's a, there's a lot of lobbying efforts going on in mm. uh, many regards. You know, we try to be part of the dialogue. And, and what we really want to do is, because I have a lot of ideas, by the way, of how uh, technology can be utilized to standard uh, standardize a lot of this thing and, and control um, a lot of this um you know, these things like uh, testing and compliance and legitimacy is uh, important. But what I we have to be careful at the same time is the cost of compliance and legitimacy can be a problem. 
So if you don't use technology to control this, then we create a safer environment, but one that nobody can afford to take, you know, take part in. So technology has to be part of the dialogue when we're talking about compliance. It's critical. So you said you have ideas. How can tech be used to standardize and control cannabis industry? Well, you know, it, it's interesting. I got involved in the, um, the, the, the mortgage industry when there was a issue with, um, uh, with appraisals. Mm-hmm. So if you look at the mortgage industry, a home appraisal, you know, you got a home appraisal over here. And then in the, this industry, you got a lab report or an appraisal of the safety of the product, right? Well, there was a problem with fraud in, in, in home appraisals and mortgage. So if I needed your home to come in at 300000 I would have a conversation with my buddy who was the appraiser, give him two tickets to the Super Bowl and make sure all my appraisals came in where they should be. Well, that wasn't helpful to the industry, right? right. So there was collusion going on. By the way, we have the same issue here. And I created technology in my last company that eliminated that confusion, that, excuse me, collusion, right? By basically round robining through technology. Uh, the request of those lab reports. So you weren't always getting my appraisals. Mm-hmm. I couldn't have this Super Bowl conversation with you because the system would decide, here's an accredited lab that's approved by the state. We're going to send it to them. That's And and by the way, that's, that's sort of um, letting the cat out of the bag of some of the things I've been thinking about, but that's one. And there's two other major parts of that that I see that technology would elimin- eliminate collusion, eliminate lab shopping, okay, and increase transparency uh, and safety to consumers. I, I've already drawn out many ways and ideas of that, how that can happen using technology mm-hmm. uh, and also making making it, uh, being able to contain the cost of it as well. When did you found Credible? So Credible was started um, in 2019. We started doing research in 2019. And then uh, in 2020, we started building uh, all the technology and platforms. So I'm a big believer of uh, spending enough time to do research in a market, talking to all the different players, and then creating the roadmap of the technology from there and, and not rolling it out too soon. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Credible actually launched officially this year, uh, even though we've been in business since 2019, because I'm a big believer in putting the right investments in R&D up front and actually having a robust platform before, you know, you roll it out to the marketplace. What has been the initial reaction from the marketplace? Do some operators see you as a risk in terms of bringing the tech in-house or is it generally accepted as a tool that'll improve their business? Well, I, I think that there's both, um, to be honest with you. And uh, well, what I will tell you is that, you know, when you look at the financial services side of what we do in in helping uh, the banks and helping the, um, the, the credit card processors, you know, they see immediate lift. They're very excited about what we're doing because they've got lots of people running around doing what our technology does automatically, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's sort of very important because they see the use of the utility right away. So what we're doing, by the way, is we're getting brands in by giving them useful utility that they could use on their their websites, 
that they can use to um, to vet and verify their their market. So what I would say is that the brands who are really focused on um, transparency and quality, they're embracing it. You know, they're jumping in, they're getting on board. And, you know, we I should probably state, by the way, that we're going to be rolling to consumers. We're going to be launching a free app to consumers because I want consumers to be able to get the benefit of this research. Most importantly, what I want to be able to do is match consumers with quality brands. Mm-hmm. Credible doesn't get paid when that, you know, when we make that match and these guys sell something like that's a conflict of interest to us. So we're not, that's not our model. We're not, um, you know, a Leafly or a Weed Maps, you know, and, and those are great advertising platforms and great marketplace platforms. Uh, but that's not what we do, right? A lot of our brands will use those and they're great companies, but our brand is uh, about research and mm-hmm. trust and transparency. So, you know, what, what I think we're going to see is it's like anything else. The good brands are going to be spending money on quality standards, quality certifications, they're going to spend money on compliance. The ones that don't care so much, they're not going to be spending much money on that. We, by the way, we see more of that lack, uh, that lackadaisical approach on the CBD and hemp side because there's less regulation mm-hmm. over there. The, there's more bright lines in the cannabis and marijuana side than there is in the uh, the hemp side. But there's still some of that going on over on the uh, the marijuana side as well. Does this consumer app, is it just all the brands that are currently on the credible platform? Well, yeah. So we have a lot of information. Um, We have licenses on pretty much if you're licensed, we have data on you, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, So we track things, um, you know, reputational information, like from Better Business Bureau, from, uh, uh, you know, legal databases, uh, those, those types of things. So we have a lot of information on a lot of brands. I think that the um, the difference is if you're incredible and you've claimed your profile and you've gone through something that we call the road to credibility, mm. and you've you've basically taken responsibility for your profile and you've you know you've validated your license with us, you've put your certifications up there, uh, and we actually go through and vet and verify that, then you are Q verified, and it says right away you're Q verified. If you're a brand that we don't have that information on, we just have tangential information that's public, then essentially um, we will say that this company is not Q verified, proceed with caution. That's the that's the most we can say. So it's um, we're not trying to cast shade at those. I'm just saying we don't know anything. We don't know enough about you to be able to lead a consumer or a buyer to you. And that's really what our, our our goal is, is to not only help these brands comply and stand behind their brand and give them the tools to reduce the cost of compliance, but to be able to increase transparency and be able to bring buyers to them that are interested in quality. When it comes to some of the brands that uh, were early adopters with Credible, do you have any case studies as to an ROI that they realized or recalls that they prevented as a result of using it? Yeah, as a matter of fact, we're working on some of those now. So uh, stay tuned, because uh, as we said, we just launched in January of this year. So uh, we're now starting to create those case studies and those testimonials. And um, you're going to see on Credible, we're, um, we're actually going out to one of the farms. Uh, we're doing a, a highlight uh, reel on them where we're going to be, uh, we're going to have a spotlight where we put these brands into the spotlight. We talk about their 
manufacturing process. So, uh, and then we we work case studies um, around that. So uh, stay tuned on that as we continue to build our user experience with them. Uh, but our goal is to is to add value to them every single day by giving them uh, the right tools. I mean, look, at the end of the day, even just helping a brand manage their lab reports um, is huge because a lot of these brands, they don't know how to manage, you know, that internal mismatch of information. We actually allow them to link right to their lab. So their lab delivers electronically their lab reports. We then organize them and then they can display them on their website. That tool alone is going to help save them hours uh, every every month. And that's just one of the many tools we offer. Is it possible that we see some level of federal standard, standardization before we see federal legalization? What That's a great question. And here's what I think is going to happen. So, so lack of uh, standardization in the lab reports, lack of a uh, federal banking program, all of these things are causing the illicit market to succeed, mm -hmm. right? Um, so what I think is going to happen is I think we're going to see legalization on the uh, the federal side first, meaning I think we're going to see a, a federal safe banking program that's going to give safe harbor uh, to companies in legalized states to actually take credit cards and do bank transactions. Mm -hmm. And believe it or not, that's very important because if I can use my credit card, at a uh, cannabis operation, okay, it's actually safer because I'm not necessarily doing that at the illicit market, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. So, right. Um, so, so I think we're going to see banking um, come first. Then I would love to see, even before federal approval, I would love to see the federal government get involved in safety standards on on labs. I mean, obviously, I'd like to see federal legalization. That would make the most sense. Right. But um, I think we're going to start seeing uh, some uh, some suggestions um, and uh, some guidelines on things like testing, because we're going to continue to see states, by the way, with these types of problems. I mean, finding DDE in the soil. Right. Which is probably, you know, sort of uh, legacy from DDT from 40, 50 years ago. Right. You know, uh, we're going to start seeing these things. We're going to see more pesticides. We're going to see more uh, fungicide uh, in in this cannabis. And unless we're testing for it, Americans are not safe um, at the level they should be. Is so just, I think we will see some, yes. Is it just cost as to why these labs aren't testing to the same level that they are in Canada? Or is it because they're just testing to the standard? Well, I think cost is certainly uh, part of it, but that's not the reason. I think cost is, you know, could be um, a concern because, again, the more the more compliance you put in place, the higher the cost is. And but there's ways to control that, like reducing some of the taxes, you know, that we have and licensing requirements and those types of things. But um, like a great example is um, Canada. Canada has a federal testing program, right? They're looking and they have a very, very low tolerance for things like uh, pesticides. So what are the harmful things we probably should talk about? They're pesticides, they're heavy metals, they're residual solvents, they're microbial contaminants, they're um, uh, mycotoxins, they're terpenes. And believe it or not, terpenes, although they're natural, um, they can be uh, harmful 
um, if there's presence of pesticides or heavy metals in them. So these are six major areas that have to be tested on and uh, and 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 then the different levels of testing in the um, uh, as far as how rigorous we're testing these things has to be you know sort of controlled. So the reason these labs are are not testing for all these things because it's not required by the state. Mm. So it's 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 you know now by the way I will tell you that some uh, companies will go beyond the state standards. You know, they want to test beyond the state standards and they do full panels and they're, you know, they're looking at multiple things while other companies are doing just, you know, the minimum. And what controls that is the cost. Like if I'm going to do a full panel on everything, you know, then, you know, we're we're looking at uh, probably an eight or nine hundred dollar lab bill for that testing, you know, versus a three to four hundred dollar. Mm hmm. Of all the stories that have come out recently, the DDE one in Washington, I thought was maybe the one that would scare the most people straight. Did you feel the same way? Uh, you know, I, I, I think that um, it should scare them. But the fact of the matter is, it's like, let's take, for example, if, if chicken is, um, goes through a major recall. Mm-hmm. from a Tyson factory, for example, everybody's going to know about it. It's going to be on, on the news. It's going to be all over the place, right? Yeah. That's not necessarily, this story wasn't widely displayed all over the mainstream media. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was in various pockets of media, probably particularly in Washington and certainly hit the, the cannabis, you know, times and the, you know, the, the, the trade publications, but it didn't get the kind of coverage that it would if it was lettuce or chicken. Right. Right. And I think that that's the the issue because people don't necessarily understand what it is. And by the way, there's not an illegitimate market for chicken. You know, there's not an illegitimate market for lettuce. Yeah. Right. So I, I think the fact of the matter is, I think if consumers knew the kinds of things that are being used by these illicit farmers, that would scare the hell out of them. But the fact of the matter is, it's not talked about. They don't really know about it. So the only things that can scare the hell out of people is if they know about it. Right. right. Um, what are your expectations for federal legalization? If you had to uh, predict when it might happen, what would that be? Um, I, I would really hope to think that we are, you know, within five years of uh, some type of federal legalization i mean we're we're starting to see the legitimacy of this industry increase right Mm -hmm. we're starting to it's not quite it's not the taboo it used to be it's not the devil's lettuce that was talked about you know years ago i mean for goodness sake my mother's going to be 90 and um you know uh she is aware of it. And I said, Hey, would you ever try it for medical if you need it? She's like, well, if I needed it, I would, but I don't happen to need it. You know? So, um, you know, we're starting to see this loosen up even in the Bible belt, you know, we're starting to see it, but, but what's happened is it's become politically charged. Mm -hmm. And I don't necessarily think that all the politicians are representing the will of the people. And, uh, it's, it's more so a politically charged, um, issue um, that is landing with certain politicians and um, 
And the fact of the matter is, if they really just thought about it pragmatically, this political opposition is creating nothing but safety hazards for Americans. Mm -hmm. If states are going to make this legal, and many states are, as you know, and it's going to continue to increase either medicinally or recreationally or both, right? We're, we got to get a hold of safety standards. So by this political non-federalization, we're actually making the industry less safe for Americans. Like mm -hmm. that makes no sense to me. It's like the tail wagging the dog. So I would hope to see, David, that within five years, we're going to solve this issue. And I, I agree with you. It is incredibly frustrating. Um, what can the Cannabis Equipment News audience expect from Credible going forward? Well, I think, uh, first of all, uh, you, your um, audience can go to uh, Credible.com. That's Credible with a Q, uh, Q-R-E-D-I-B-L-E.com. And uh, you can say on the front page, it says, I'm a business or I'm a consumer. Click I'm a consumer. And then you could actually sign up to be notified of when the app is going to be available and that app's going to be free to you so in the meantime we're going to give you lots of news about what's going on uh safety wise and transparency wise uh you know the big news of the industry so we can uh, help educate uh the public um so i i think that you know stay tuned uh i think you're you know the big news is going to be for the consumer the uh the free consumer app coming out um, the brands are continuing to get in, uh, banks are continuing to get in. So, uh, uh, just, you know, continue to, to, to watch along and, uh, and please get on the waiting list for, uh, for the free app. So you got in during the wild west of the mortgage industry. And once things settled there, you got into the wild west of the cannabis industry. Uh, once things hopefully settle here, is it on to the next? Well, you know, uh, what I'll tell you, David, what I love doing, and um, I've been doing it my entire career, is is using technology to solve very difficult problems. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to continue. And, and I honestly think that this industry has, I've got a while uh, of solving issues in this industry because this is a, um, this is an industry that's not going to shrink. It's going to continue to grow. I mean, yes, it has its challenges. We're seeing oversupply in the West and we're seeing that kind of stuff, but that's going to happen in any dynamic evolving, you know, and fast growing industry. So I, I think that, um, you know, if federal legalization happens, let's say in three to five years, okay, there's going to be a lot more. It doesn't, that doesn't mean credible goes away. That means credible's mission becomes even more important of helping to reduce the cost of compliance. So, um, what I would say, it's on to the next thing within the industry that needs to be solved. And, and what is that? It's using technology to automate and bring down the cost of compliance and, and increase transparency. How did you build the AI and the bots that you use? So uh, basically everything, you know, everybody talks about AI, you know, AI sort of starts with machine learning, which means you have to teach the machine. So um, the way we started basically was by feeding it all of the legislation and getting it to understand, um, you know, how it can interpret the legislation and then uh, teaching it all the naughty words that it shouldn't, that it should be looking for heals, cures, uh, you know, those types of things that, uh, you know, that brands cannot be saying, right? Mm -hmm. So um, once you sort of teach the machine by feeding it lots of information, 
then the artificial intelligence sort of continues to learn and learn faster because now it knows all the terms. It knows what to look for and it knows how to build upon uh, itself. So uh, we and that's another reason, by the way, why we started several years ago. Right. Uh, even though we we hadn't rolled out a product until recently, because we've been in the R&D process of teaching these machines and then also watching each state and even the FDA guidance, you know, that continues to um, to be modified. So this is a very dynamic industry. It's changing every day. Brian, I want to thank you very much for your time today. I really do appreciate it. A uh, lot of insightful things and it'll be valuable to our audience. Is there anything we might have left out or anything in particular you want to make sure we don't miss? No, I, th- I think it's great, by the way, that the manufacturing world is is watching this and keeping an eye on this because manufacturing safety and quality is absolutely job one. And it's like the difference between my last industry and the mortgage in this industry is nobody died from a bad mortgage. So I, I think that we really, uh, um, hats off to you guys for really focusing and uh, tuning into this industry and manufacturing. Keep up the great work there. I don't know, man. I had a relationship die because of a bad mortgage. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. But at well, least you know, you're still alive. Yeah, yeah no, it was, she was, it was on the ropes anyways. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, uh, again, uh, thank you for your time, man. I do appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Take care. All right. Well, before we get out of here, please make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. You can also help us out a lot by leaving the podcast a positive review on whatever platform you use. If you want to email the podcast, you can reach me at david at cannabisequipmentnews.com. You can also subscribe to our daily newsletter. Make sure you get it delivered to your inbox first. For Brian Fitzpatrick, CEO of Credible, I'm David Manti. This is the Cannabis Equipment News Podcast. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Cannabis Equipment News Podcast.